Michael's gif out when he's trying to work America online in 1996. <laughs> Holy Lord, have mercy on our souls. What are we doing on a Thursday afternoon? <laughs> oh my God, this is Top Rope Nation, in case you haven't figured it out. I'm Kyle Ross. You knew that by the voice. Uh, you've also probably figured out because of this uh, rather dicey start to the program. <laughs> Ryan Drosting is nowhere in sight. Uh, my God, uh, you, we'll get to that, man. That's also a familiar voice on the other end that I'm sure uh, you recognize. Uh, my uh, my text is recording my voice right now, folks. We are off to a rousing start here on the flagship on Top Rope Nation. But rest assured, it is all, all uphill uh, from this moment forward. So, yes, Top Rope Nation, part of the Blue Wire podcasting group. We're so thrilled to be partnered with SE Scoops. now. And I am thrilled to be part uh, partnered on this day with my good friend and yours, Mr. Liam O'Rourke. Liam, please save me. I don't know what the <laughs> hell I'm doing. I'm trying to run a live stream to YouTube, okay? I told Ryan, please, just let me talk about 1998 WCW into a tin can. I don't want to stream video. I don't know how to do that. But here we are, and by God, I hope somebody's listening. Oh man, I'm sure. And and like two technophobes in the same place at the same time trying to do this. This is this is obviously going to be a calamity. But the important thing is we're here now. Yes. We do have 1998 WCW to talk about. And if we're if we're trying to make sense of something that is is very hard to make sense of, uh, 98 WCW is kind of the, the appropriate tonic, I think, for this uh, this afternoon. <laughs> yes, yes. So okay, I think I brought up that it's Top Rope Nation. I think I brought up that I'm Kyle Ross. I think I brought up that he's <laughs> Liam O'Rourke. We have teased. Now, one of the discussion uh, topics on this show, as Liam and I will begin part one of what is hopefully, well, if it's not, then that's going to be pretty awkward. We'll be like WWE dropping (laughs) storylines. What will be, we will not drop this storyline. Part one of what will be a look back on 1998 WCW. Certainly, uh, many of you will remember um, Top Rope Nation Classics in December reviewed Starcade 97. I said, boy, do I have a lot of thoughts on 1998. Would anyone be interested in listening to a rebook? Uh, the Facebook uh, comments seem to be unanimous with yes. So we will start uh, looking back at 1998 WCW today. We will also, in this program, be looking back uh, at some present-day wrestling, uh, very present-day wrestling, as in Dynamite from last night. Yes, uh, we will be offering up comments on that program as well. But Liam, we're going to start with something that you messaged me earlier this week in regards uh, to the WWE Royal Rumble, which is gone, but certainly not forgotten. It's in the rear view now, but uh, Cody is your winner of the men's Rumble. They went a fairly predictable route on the show, but there were a lot of people, uh, you know, in the weeks leading up to the events who were you know, fantasizing about the possibility of big stars from the past returning. And you had a comment on that. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. The timing of this is just always just so bizarre when it was around this time last week 
when the story started to kind of filter out about the rumored proposal of Steve Austin versus Roman Reigns for WrestleMania, which obviously got a lot of people kind of taken aback because there's been absolutely no evidential signs that that's going to be happening. And besides, if anybody was coming back, it surely would be The Rock, since that's been rumored for three years. And I find it very interesting that we, again, week of the Rumble, where there are a lot of people like my brother-in-law who were convinced that this must mean that Steve Austin or The Rock is coming back. And sure enough, it doesn't happen. And it's just there's, there's too many of these coincidences for me. As it turns out, I think it was Monday. Was it Monday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon when Meltz like reported the story that like, oh yeah, actually it's not going to happen at all. Like Austin's not going to be wrestling anybody at WrestleMania by the look of it. And it's like, how did a story like that, the week of the show, get that much traction? I find, again, the timing of these things we've talked ad nauseum kyle about my little conspiracy theories for the timing of when these stories break um the intentions behind the story and what they're really trying to accomplish and i think this is yet another example of they just wanted the eyes on the show um i think that in the same way that they've been dangling this golden carrot of the rock for three years it will definitely happen this year wrestlemania's in hollywood doesn't happen um and i just think that they just kind of wing it man <laughs> they, they just they just say it's gonna happen they they know it won't they'll do it if the chance is there to do it but they would anyway but these stories that the timing of these stories being leaked it's just something that's been very noticeable in the last 18 months to two years really ever since the cm punk debut in AEW, where it's like they figured out you know what we don't have to be the ones to leak these ideas but it will feed upon itself and we have plausible deniability so i do think there is an element of misinformation obviously in the wrestling media um and to be kind of playing that for its own ends. Two things. One, I'm very proud of myself because I ran the ticker uh, there on the show there for a moment. You saw all of our lovely patrons' names go across the screen. I saw Liam O among those. We always thank you for your patronage and everyone else for their patronage. So I'm very pleased that I did that. But back to the topic at hand here. This is what I texted back to you about uh, what you said. Like, oh, isn't it weird that, like, you know, there was these rumors of Austin before the Rumble. And then right, the Rumble goes, you know, comes and goes and then the austin river is completely dead i said to you that wwe could float a rumor that we're gonna heat baron corbin back up and their fan base would like laugh they'd be like yeah that's a pretty freaking good idea <laughs> some would some yeah. would some, some some people were loving uncle howdy yeah so rumble so this to me look it's not we're in a different world now it's not like they're do when those stories kind of manifest, it's not like it's leading to increased pay-per-view buys, right? It's not mm -hmm. like what they did at SummerSlam 2005 with the Bret Hart rumors where they yeah. kind of led you to believe on their television that he might yeah. show up in the Hulk Hogan-Shawn uh, Michaels match and, of course, did not. Uh, so I, I don't – look, because it happens a lot, these like stories like, oh, such and such could be back. Oh, I'm going to watch this show and Kate, and then he doesn't. And then the rumor is dispelled right after. It happens too many times for it to be a coincidence. I agree yeah. with you, but I, I don't know. I, I just think WWE fans were going to enjoy that show, uh, whether Steve Austin uh, showed up or not, whether The Rock showed up or not. And a lot of people enjoyed that show. On that note, Justin Joint and I have thoughts on the 2023 Royal Rumble. Obviously, uh, Top Rope Nation has already covered that premium live event. Ryan did an excellent job. Uh, with Jesse Velasquez sitting in the guest chair. But Justin and I will be doing a Top Rope Nation extra covering the 2023 Royal Rumble because I have a lot of thoughts Ooh. on that show. And it will uh, be filed uh, in that uh, ever-growing file <laughs> of uh, 
Kyle didn't enjoy this as much as everyone else seems to. So <laughs> there it, you have it. I, I get frustrated, man. I get frustrated. It's like I I look. This isn't the th- the time and the place for this rant, but it is frustrating sometimes when you just wonder what in the world people see sometimes. And maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're the ones who are wrong. You know? Yeah, well, so. <laughs> speaking of modern wrestling and a show that a lot of people seem to like, okay, and uh, and I was feverishly trying to comprehend it as I grasped uh, rudimentary technology here uh, for the program. <laughs> AEW Dynamite from last night. Your thoughts on that show uh it seems to be getting very strong reviews obviously there are three great matches on the program uh your take yeah three great matches and three very different matches which i like i like variety and i think that one of the things that's come to um become quite clear in aew is that i that there has been a very there's been an uptick in the consistency of the quality of the shows since the new year started which is great there is a balance but I think they're still looking to find when it comes to the folks. I mean, there was a lot of wrestling on the show yesterday, but mm-hmm. long, long matches. And because of the variety of it, it kind of worked. But I do think that there's, as we gear up towards Revolution, particularly, we got like three or four shows left before we get to the pay per view. I feel like that, that the balance will shift where there's that there's a bit more leaning into story than there is on matches, which will be a more natural, harmonious balance, and I think make for a better show. Because I I love the stuff that they did last night, but. Um, I think that there might be an opportunity to get a little bit more story in there. Uh Oh, (laughs) that's not necessarily a criticism in a bad way. It's just that, like, when you have um, a a show with, you know, I mean, there's like, like I say, three matches that were really pretty long and really good, and I'm not complaining about it at all. I, I would take that show every week. I thought it was great, but I know that for the audience that they really need to capture, I think they kind of need to need a little. We've talked about this before is there too much wrestling on wrestling? And sometimes there may be a little bit too much in that kind of respect. And again, I think they, they, they find the balance, but the show's still super enjoyable. So I'm not going to complain about that. Well, your boy, Eric Bischoff here, if I can unblock him for a second. Okay. <laughs> um, he had a uh, tweet comparing um, and talking about, uh, you know, it seems that WWE has gained momentum. What did he say here? Let me look at this. It was like, it was just like WWE, you know, people were like, you know, why is the, because remember there were, who was it? Like a Raj Geary tweet. It's like, why does it seem like the gap between WWE and AEW is growing? And, and Bischoff commented, better storytelling, plain and simple. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible I, I mean, I mean, <laughs> completely ignoring the, the penetration of Peacock, which uh, yeah, give WWE credit. I mean, things like that, they're very Fox. sharp. Fox yeah. doesn't hurt, you know. It's kind of a uh-huh. significant part of being on a network show for all. You know, that's the, the the biggest, the highest rated show is on a network channel. So, you know, maybe something to do with it. Just a guess. Oh my goodness! Oh no! Oh, not, oh no! I'm not, I'm not. I'm not reading the tweets from Bischoff. They're so bad. They're so bad. <laughs> oh no! Discipl- disciplined storytelling is what he credits oh, for really? the WWE. Disciplined wow. storytelling. But, um, all right, we had a point in all that. Okay, let's go back to AEW here. So, you know, I've made this point before in the past, and I want to know if you agree with me. We're, what, I think we, there's how many more Dynamites before the pay-per-view? We decided there's one, two, three, four, I think think now. yeah. Do they, you know, do they, should they? It's just, is modern wrestling, like, you just, you kind of have to wait 
to the end to announce everything or you run the risk of, you know, peaking too early or, I mean, should they take full advantage? And cause, cause other than MJF and Danielson, I don't, is there a stated de- destination for that pay-per-view yet? I don't, I mean, the idea of MJF or, and Danielson and the IMM has been floated for a while, but the, anything else on the card is completely up in the air. If it and they do that every time, despite yeah. having, you know, just doing the four pay-per-views every year. And I remember when this promotion started, I've said this so many times, my dream was they would announce main events early, hype them to death, old school, and we'd ha- and, and they they just don't do it. They do the opposite. They almost wait till the very end to even announce, make the main event official, yeah. which we saw with All Out last year. Uh, I want to ask you this question with AEW. Um, when you have the right world, because you mentioned how it seems to be here in 2023, there seems to be an uptick. It's improved a little bit. When you have the correct world champion, in the when the guy holding your world title is the guy that everyone thinks should hold it, do you feel there's just sort of a natural trickle down effect in the promotion where there's like sort of like less complaining about the booking from fans? Because to again, let's be fair with WWE, no one complains really. Who I don't think you should complain who the world champion is, right? Everyone's sort of like, all right, the promotion's built around Roman and whatever. And now AEW has MJF. Everyone is accepting of him in that world title role. He's the guy who should be the world champion. Is he the stabilizing force that they needed? Uh, he is among the stabilizing forces that I think they needed. And I think that the key with him is that I actually think there could be more focus on him in this role and it would help. Because I do agree, there is a con- I, I, there is very much a feeling to me that like... Because look at Roman. Roman's the the textbook example you just mentioned, and it's true. All those years when Roman was struggling, and their and the promotion was struggling because they didn't, they, you know, they're, they're flipping from. A lot of it was the fact that they just did not commit to Roman the way that they really should have committed to Roman. They did, you know, we we joke. I mean, we did a show. It was like the Rumble 2017, I think we were talking about at the time, where like Roman loses in the opener to Kevin Owens, and then he enters the Rumble at number thirty. And loses again by getting just beaten by Orton and just chucked out. And he's the top baby face, and they're wondering why he's booed. And it's like, if you know, if he's the guy, go with him, go with him hard all the way, and do not don't give us a reason to think that the person that we're supposed to be caring about is actually not really worth caring about. Because it's it was obviously all about Roman, but they just didn't want to commit to it because they were too afraid of the backlash. But then you're in this halfway house where no one gets what they want. Whereas if you have you know, certain to This is a great case. Matt, you know, Mox, who was great in his role, but always felt like a stopgap champion. Yes. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. And it's like, look, he was great in the role, but everybody knew he was not the right guy, really, for this time in the company's trajectory. It was supposed to be punk to get to Max, and it didn't really feel natural anymore. This feels more natural. I do think that the, the focus on MJF has helped. More focus on him, I think, would help even more. Um, and then obviously everything else falls around it because ultimately, and this is what again one of the lessons of WWE, Eric, is <laughs> when it comes to storytelling, there isn't a story worth a fuck on in this company outside of Roman Reigns and the Bloodline and what's going on with Paul Heyman, mm-hmm. masterminding this whole thing. So if the top angle is strong, and Austin and Vince proved this too with a with a, an undercard full of Godwins and headbangers and DOA, if if the thing on top is the right thing the rest of it can fall into place a lot easier. 
Yes. So, so I, you took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say, you know, it, it was early last summer when Punk got hurt and there was that kind of bizarre build, the forbidden door. It was very oh, uneven, yeah. very messy. And then all the way to all out, people were second guessing stuff like, you know, sh- beating Punk here in Cleveland the way they did. Did that make sense? And I just look back at that time, the, the time period between Punk getting hurt after the Double or Nothing show in Vegas and MJF winning the title in November. I think a lot of the, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Sort of the unrest from fans towards the booking was because there was so much uncertainty surrounding the world title. Whereas mm-hmm. before AEW didn't have that, everyone was very accepting of whomever the world champion was, whether when it was Omega page started to get a little bit of backlash because mm-hmm. you know, he gets it. And then, you know, you had all those shiny new toys who were kind of well outshining him at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but now I think there isn't a person that watches the program that thinks MJF shouldn't be the world champion. So I, I think that is such a vital part to the show to have the right world champion. Uh, of course, of course, having said that though, the flip mm-hmm. side, just to, just to detour very quickly is that the lack of somebody else seeming like they're the right, uh, they're a viable candidate as part of this too. I don't feel like that many people are going crazy with the idea of Danielson as champion, which I'll be no, interested. And I'll be interested to see what the buy rate is for this pay-per-view because I don't sense people really want the baby face to beat the heel truly. And that is a bit of a tough dynamic to overcome as well. But then again, this is the Roman dynamic. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, it almost feels like, I mean, it's so funny because we talked about all the problems or you laid it out with Roman and then they turn him heel and book him exactly how he should have been booked as a baby face. As a baby face and it works. Imagine that. Yeah. 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 But you're right, actually. I don't think a lot of people buy Danielson as beating MJF. Mm. I don't think he should beat MJF. Uh, You know, (laughs) here's something to think about. And Danielson's so selfless, right? I got, imagine if he'd been booked better last year this uh, match would be better. Yeah. like 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 you know it's like it's one of here's one of those things with aew okay they do a, some stuff and, you, and you're watching it and in the moment seems kind of cool wwe is just as guilty of of this as well but like you know oh i'm gonna elevate daniel garcia danielson i mean i don't know you look at where garcia is you look at where he should be relative to the pack. I mean, does it, why do that? Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it was it was a nice idea, but again, it's all as we've said before. It's all about what's next and what's in the follow up. And if Danielson's going to be, if Dan, if Daniel Garcia is going to be here before and after, and Danielson's going to be up here before and after, there's it, no point it, in doing it. Do it exactly. on dark. If he wa- if he wants to wrestle Garcia, have him do it on dark. I feel exactly. there's a lot of niche, especially in 2022. There were a lot of niche ideas that were making their way to dynamite that should have just actually been resigned to dark if they wanted to do that stuff, which is what I think dark is for not these squash matches where nobody's improving. Yeah. Experimental stuff. Try stuff out. Give give, you a try new act. I mean, you know, grant, I mean, they they tried with the trust busters and stuff like that on dark. And then they, it it didn't translate that well at all. (laughs) So whatever, but you know, you know what though? I actually think that the biggest detrimental thing to Danielson was turning him heel when they did for the hangman feud, because that was kind of something that went completely against the organic trajectory of people didn't want to boo Danielson when, when he, when he got here, they were, they wanted him, they wanted the dream matches and they wanted to chant. Yes. And they wanted to, yeah. to get into Danielson in this environment. And then when they turned him heel, which was because Moxley went into rehab and they needed an opponent for hangman. Um, I, that, that for what you brought Danielson in for, which was to take the W presumably in theory, take some of that WWE audience and bring them over because 
Daniel Bryan is here now and he's looking like the hottest wrestler in the world and he's awesome. And you take a bit of that away and you tell fans not to cheer for him. I, that, that, I think Danielson's marketability in AEW has never been the same since they did that, frankly. Yeah, I mean, they they beat him pretty quick and then they mm-hmm. just sort of, and you know, you look back like, what did he do? I, and, and being like one guy in a group too. I know that people love the Blackpool Combat Club. Mm. I, I've... I'm actually not the biggest fan of it, to be honest. In retrospect, yeah, it's like it's like I like I like all of the people individually, but as a unit, I, I don't really know. You're, it's like you're you're waiting for the part where you realize, man, these guys together. Now I see the benefit. Now I see what this this the the act brings to the table. And really, it hasn't yet. Well, when they first it hasn't started, been bad either. No, but when they first started, they were like a trios. Remember, they had some of those trios matches where they mm-hmm. like, beat the shit out of the people. And people oh, they were great. Were reacting, but then it didn't really lead to them being in the trios tournament. It was just <laughs> like we're just going to do this for two weeks to put over the group, and then they're all going to kind of go their separate ways. And again, there's reasons for that. But yeah, I mean, MJF and Daniel said, I think when you look at what they have right now, um, it, it's not a bad option. But you brought up an interesting point. Uh, with okay, you can the greatest world champion in the world can't be at his max potential if he doesn't have a long list of viable challengers. And beyond Brian Danielson, when you look at this program right now, you look at this promotion, who do you see as guys who can main event opposite MJF in 2023? I think they got their eye on Adam Cole for that. I think they're going to do the, the, the comeback still. I think they're going to really lean into the sympathy of Adam Cole. I think that while I like the idea, I don't think they're going to go with Jack Perry. I think they're going to have him and Joe eventually. But mm-hmm. that interview yesterday was an interesting little precursor of something. But he's that's another thing where it's just like, ah, it doesn't feel like the momentum's there like it was with Jack. So it doesn't really feel like that's the move to make. Um, and when you look at the the big picture and you take a step back, it's like, what baby faces? Because they got a shit ton of baby faces on this roster. But I don't know who is peaking right now for this. And it's like, Adam Cole, I definitely see them doing that hangman in theory could omega absolutely could yes i I feel like then either not going to do that because they like to keep their stars separate um or they will just again put people in in the position where it's like okay this is the guy he's running with for now and it can be something like a hangman where it's it's not really it's 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 it's, a challenge of the month feel but that's what that's 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 the risk i think they're going to run is that it's going to kind of by having by having MJF basically do the reign of terror, where you got so many top baby faces. If you actually hold the face and, and heel dynamics side by side, the depth chart in this company, it's so slanted towards the baby faces. There's so many big baby faces, and they're all going to fail. <laughs> so, yeah, you know that's that's where that's where it's going to come off. Like you know, be careful, be careful, be delicate. But again, it's happening with Roman, so who knows? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, 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 I can't critique it too much. Yeah, I mean, I think the modern fan they don't necessarily look at it where, oh, no, our favorites have let us down again. I think they're just like, as Mm. long as the people in those positions are viewed as stars, that is what, I mean, that's what's worked for WWE, I think, Mm -hmm. for the most. People view Roman Reigns. It's not that he's a, whether he's babyface or heel, it's that they actually accept him now as a true big-time star. Because they push him above the fray now. Yes. They push him above the fray. And we talked, I believe, earlier, a few months ago, 
uh, you and I talked about how AEW needs to do that. They need to choose mm-hmm. a few people and push them above the fray, not just make them one segment in the program. Um, speaking of one segment in the program, uh, the women's division. <laughs> uh, all, you know, that's, <laughs> hopefully, I didn't offend anyone with that one. But the women's division has, in my opinion, you know, well, in everybody's opinion, there's more depth now, right? And we're starting to see something pretty interesting. And 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 I was chatting with the old repack report uh, about the women's division and what's going on, but he was listening to a bunch of podcasts and I guess people are questioning this thing of, you know, why are you making all the ex WWE women, this heel group now, why even sign them if they're just going to be heels? That's what he messaged to me. What do you think about, what they're doing with the women's division at AEW right now. I think they are going with the flow because they are, I think they're quite at the minute. I feel like they're self-conscious for a good reason about the crowds read on some of these imports. And it's interesting because it's not a uniform thing. When you look at the other, you know, the other division in the roster, uh, you know, it's not like you get a ton of this backlash amongst the Keith Lees and the Swerve Stricklands of the world who have come from the other side of the fence. This, to me, is Tony being reactionary, and not in a bad way, by the way, Hmm. about Soraya absolutely shitting the bed on the promo she did with Britt Baker when she came off like the most unlikable um, shit baby face uh, <laughs> that I've seen in quite some time. She, you know, Soraya, I've, I've never had a massively high opinion of Soraya. Um, I don't think she's particularly special in anything. Um, she had a movie made about her. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and that pretty much saved a job at one point. But I think yeah. that the thing with her is like, she, there, there is nothing about her that is standout or special apart from the fact that she just had the, the you know, she's a big, story on total divas and she's using the headlines because of all the chaos but <laughs> you you drag her into this environment is that what they're calling that chaos that's that's what i'll call it for now to be nice uh, okay um but she comes in and the first promo she does and this just like I, I don't know why this just reeks of british wrestling to me and people who made their start in britain because there's so many wrestlers in britain not all of them obviously but there's a good percentage who are just fucking dumb and they don't really know what they should do in a given situation. And this is the interesting thing. Someone like Soraya, who is doing her thing for the first time unscripted in, in Major League Wrestling, never really had to, you know, soar with her own wings before. And the first thing she does, entering a new promotion filled with fans who believe that this promotion is better than everywhere else, is to come in as a babyface and say, I've wrestled in Madison Square Garden and you haven't. You've done fucking nothing and I have. And it's like, you're an asshole, and I don't want to cheer for you. And it, you could tell the dynamic with where Britt was not supposed to be the babyface in that feud at all. That happened because it had to, because Soraya fucked up the promo. And now, basically, Tony, I think, is leaning into this. Tony Khan, not Tony Storm, although she's involved in it too. I didn't sense that Tony Storm had any kind of massive backlash against no. her because of where she came from, but she did come up against Jamie Hayter, who was just plain hotter as a character and had more momentum than she did which is tough. And again, rolling with the punches, why, why fight upstream? Let's go with haters, the baby face. We need to get Storm as a heel. This is kind of a good narrative to go with. And let's just kind of roll with the punches. I, I, I do think that there's like, that there is, there's some of this too, is that 
as time goes by, the AEW audience, I think, has gotten a little bit more guarded about people coming in. Because yes. as people are coming in, it means that one of their favorites is going to be on less. And I don't even know if it's a conscious thing, but it's just like, okay, it's another person from the other side. And like, do we really need Bobby Fish? You know, so on and so forth. Um, and, and I think that's there's a little bit of that too. But again, Samoa Joe welcomed with open arms. Yeah, you could you could run down the hit list. Adam Cole, Brian Danson. There's so many guys who've come here and and have done absolutely perfectly well. I don't think there's a natural resentment. I think there's a resentment when people who don't know how to play their role very well come off like assholes. <laughs> Oh, okay, the, 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 there's a lot to unpack there. Mm. And to be honest, we could go really long on this. I, the, the light bulb started just going off above my head here. Number one, you taught that Madison Square Garden line. I had visions of Roddy Piper saying, like, Bagwell. Oh, Bagwell. Yeah, remember when he just totally shit out of it? And oh. Like, and like Bagwell's like, uh, I've never had a chance to be an MSG. And, but he couldn't say it because WCW, WCW was locked out of it. So like he just came and across rem- so amateur. Exactly. But remember, at the time, Mel, you know, that was like malign. It's like, why would you bush league your own company like that? And Piper did it because he didn't give a fuck anymore. And he was just <laughs> trying to basically just make Bagwell look like an arsehole. Soraya did it because she thought that was good. Yeah, which is she was, trying to be a, she was trying to be a baby face. And it's like, this is what I mean by mocking the British wrestling mentality. And again, it's not all of them. I'm not trying to make myself the enemy of the state here. I'm just saying, like, there are some people who do not realize that there are kind of finer intricacies when you do something like that. That you, you don't go to another promotion and instantly just tell, you know, the person who is kind of seen as the homegrown star that they've never done anything, which is just suicide as a baby face. You can confirm this, but I messaged you, I think, like eight, nine, ten months ago that I sensed this resentment. Yes, you did. Bubbling, like towards guys like Andrade. Yeah, yeah. Where and what I think is so fascinating about this is you've you've named people who have been welcomed with open arms, but there are certainly people that haven't, or maybe initially were, but they're welcome. Like it was kind of like, yeah, okay, like we welcomed you. Maybe you're not that good, and and. <laughs> What is so fascinating to me as this roster, this AEW roster has grown in size, you touched on it with that there's a a substantial part of the fan base who's who when a new person comes in, like, oh, crap, this person I really like, they're probably going to get less time now. They whether they're, you know, directly thinking that or just subconsciously thinking that Mm -hmm. it's very true. And I think it would be fascinating to go through all of those people that were brought in from WWE, who was welcomed with open arms, who wasn't, and why do we think that is? Is there any common denominator? Because you're right, there are certain people like Danielson, Cole, that were welcomed. Although, do you know what's fascinating, now that I'm just spitballing this out? Do you know where Adam Cole went wrong in AEW? Uh, There's a lot of places. It's when they put him with O'Reilly and Fish. Yeah, and they yeah. made it. They, they're like, oh, well, he tries to do the, the reheat the old thing, and it just it made him feel mid card. And they're like, oh, here's the WWE, and people were like, well, wait a minute, okay, we liked Adam Cole, we wanted Adam Cole here, but you're giving us WWE Adam Cole. I wanted him in the Elite, like he did yeah. on the first night, which was great. With, and it was and it was different, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Him like, with a new coat paint in this environment, this version of Adam Cole. And I wonder if it's sort of like the audience 
it, again, intentional or not, is kind of like there's sort of a respect, obviously, towards guys like Jericho and Moxley who chose to come here, mm. right? Danielson yeah. chose to come here. CM Punk, when he was part of this program, chose to come here. FDR chose to come here. I, I wonder if, now that I think of it, the and, and when you were talking about Soraya's mentality, th- this is where the gear started turning. And she chose to come too for that record, but there's instances of people who were just cut by WWE. Yeah. Okay. And they land here in AEW. And this is a a big issue for Tony Khan moving forward. And I think he's trying to work through it is those people saw themselves. And in some cases they're correct as I was under pushed in WWE. I deserved a bigger push than I Mm -hmm. got. I never got a fair shake. Remember when all those cuts were taking place. I remember I was talking with Ryan and Justin. Yeah, that like it's so odd that they're cutting the people who they've never really pushed and they're just sticking with the pat hand and the people that have been mm-hmm. on television six years. So what you had here is a lot of people migrating to AEW and they felt, oh, I deserve that big push in WWE. I never got it. Now I'm going to the smaller pond and I get it. I'm going to get it here and I deserve it because I'm a big fish from WWE. But the problem is there were a lot of people, and, and I, I talked about this with Ryan and Justin coming out of that all-out, that magical night in Chicago when Danielson showed up in mm-hmm. 2021. That roster was fucking loaded, and every and like the AEW fans wanted to see almost like everyone pushed. And then yeah. Tony just kept adding to it, adding More to it. And there's, people, only, yes. there's only so more spots to push. And... <laughs> And it's sort of like, you know, and there was a sense of entitlement, perhaps, I think, from some of those WWE guys that rubs people the wrong way. It's like, and, and you know, now I look at it and and these people who didn't get over in WWE, who aren't maybe being accepted in AEW, I think it's fair to say, well, were you that good in the first <laughs> yes, place? I- because if you fail in two different promotions to get over, it's not Vince McMahon's fault. It's not Tony Khan's fault. Maybe it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something that you're not bringing to the table that you think yeah. you are, and maybe you should refine a part of your act, or maybe you just need to change a bit more. Or again, it's it's an attitude thing. Like you say, when you when you've, you know, I wrestle for the biggest company in the world, I'm a big deal. I've been cut, but I'm still a big deal, and I can command top dollar somewhere else. You go there, you have you know all the enthusiasm, excitement. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna own this place. I'm gonna tear this place down, and then they go there and they just do basically the same thing. And that's another part of it too. Is like. There are some people who you can tell because Andrade worked. And I actually, I think that Andrade, they were doing okay with, and he was doing okay at first. And then it just felt like it fucking went to hell um, in terms of his mm-hmm. momentum and him doing anything. Miro started Rocky, found himself. And now there's like the, the story from the last show where like he was supposed to be on the full gear pay-per-view, right? But and he, he just turned- didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it because the role he was going to be in wasn't up to his standards, I guess. It wasn't what he wanted. And so, and that, whereas a guy like Joe, who I thought, I'm not so sure if this is going to work as well because Joe hadn't shown greatness in a while in WWE, I thought. I mean, he, he's so injured. It, yeah. Way, it, was, it was nice to see him and Darby do the tribute spot uh, to the spot that forever injured Samoa Joe and TNA with Dallas. Oh, yeah, the stairs, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was convinced. I was like, are they gonna have Darby do a fucking drop kick on these stairs or something like that? Yeah. Serious. Why why do that? But again, and now like Joe has just been fan- he's been fantastic and he's been welcome with open arms. He's over. 
that him and Darby are just like a modern Sting invader. I love watching those matches, and mm-hmm. they are just perfect for each other. Yeah, and, and you mentioned two guys who have been welcomed with open arms. Swerve Strickland is a guy who is really impressed, who you can tell he he doesn't... I mean, and what's different from him compared to some of those other migra- uh, people who migrated is he wasn't on WWE TV very much. Like, the you know, obviously, so he, he this to him is a huge opportunity. And he's like, yeah, who gives a shit what I, I mean, you think he wants to reference, you know, his former group over there? No, the, that's by all. the way, they're already shitting on uh, Hit Row on WWE television. Uh, they're, already, they're, they're already having the announcers bury them. Like, like <laughs> you know, you're screwed when during a pay, uh, pay-per-view, Michael Cole refers to you as, quote, that goof top dollar. Oh, dude, he was he. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, he's so not I, long for the world. He's no, not long no, for the world. no. I, I, um, but yeah, it's just so. Anyway, to bring it back to the main point, we, we had a point originally here about the women. I, I agree with you that it just seems natural that the ones who migrated over from WWE just aren't as popular as Britt Baker, as Jamie Hayter, as Jade Cargill. There, there was some discussion I saw last time I talked about Jade Cargill's push and where she's at right now. Mm-hmm. Where do you think she, because like I, I, you and I have talked in the past, we think she should be a big star. We think she should be one of the centerpieces of this promotion. Obviously, she's still really green. And I'm thinking to myself, like, having two women's titles kind of hurts her because they have to save the primo contenders for the world champion. So she works with people who aren't very good and they have to keep the matches short. She's someone who would really benefit from AEW having house shows, which they are doing. Yes. Yep. So there's, there's, there's that. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Jade's a weird one because the, the, the creation of the belt so far, this, it just seemed like a, the entire thing feels like this was an, an idea to keep her separate, to keep her away from basically the main stuff that was going on in the women's division, while at the same time protecting her and making it obvious she is a star, she is a big deal, she's not just somebody that's bubbling under, because people like that can lose momentum. And Hook's in a similar position, where Hook's somebody who I think obviously had a ton of momentum in the beginning, and I think that he's been pushed the way he has been, because I don't know that he's ready for more. And I think that the reason people think he's ready for more is because they haven't seen that he isn't, because he's been protected and booked quite well. But... There comes a point where it's like, okay, is this all we're going to have? Because eventually that momentum is going to sputter. And I think that if we get another six months of what we've had currently with Jade, I think that's going to sputter too. Um, I don't know how, how, how much longer they can hold this for. Maybe, again, if they if they ramp up the, the, the quality or the star power of the challenges, I should say, then I think that she'll do just fine. But Yeah, and how I was going to say, how do you do that? Because it's a fascinating point because the modern wrestling fan sees somebody with potential look great one week and they just there seems to be now this just groundswell this demand for push him to the moon right away yeah and that's yeah. like a terrible idea in a lot of cases to push yeah. him to the moon you, it, slow pushes are fine but it feels like the modern booker struggles with the slow push and it probably wouldn't be as bad again if there weren't so many mouths to feed in terms of television time because i think this is another one where if you had and I'm not advocating for it, but if you if you did have more TV time or just less people, then you, that that it's a lot easier to feature the same people with 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 regularity. Whereas with a, a Jade, you get a match with her every what like once a month, 
maybe mm-hmm. maybe a couple times a month and it's like okay well that's fine but there's only so many times where you can just hear the same backstage 30 second promo talking about how she's that bitch and 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 that's really all there is to it whereas i think that if yeah that, that there comes a time where you have to have a jade work with a returning thunder rosa in a feud that actually feels like this is actually quite important because at the yeah. minute they can say they can say how they want 50 and out red velvet i've no. uh, there's not there's like come on man like and again I, I, nothing against her but it's just like she's not we know that she's not a star a top level woman she hasn't been booked that way she hasn't been treated that way and she doesn't come off that way so let's not pretend that she's this, this big person who's a risk to to the streak because no one buys it it should, should be, jade should be a baby face i think the baddies was a terrible idea i feel like it was probably a, her idea like it was just something she yeah and, and she doesn't i mean she's been in the business for you know like freaking five minutes basically yeah. <laughs> compared to some of these people you know she's all oh, have an entourage you know I, I feel the same way about swerve entourages sound cool like oh i'm gonna have an entourage that's gonna make me come across like a bigger star more of a star yeah but if your entourage kind of stinks then they kind of rub off on you and (laughs) i don't like i I don't like swerve's entourage either nah it's like why are you hanging around with we're hanging around with these prison bums no no come on you're so much cooler than those guys like that's not (laughs) holland for god's sake yeah Yeah. um all right uh Okay, AEW's production. I want to talk about this. I think this might be the last AEW. Eh, no, there's going to be two. There's going to be one more. AEW's production. Look, WWE, say what you will about this, they have a lot of money, and they come across like a big production. Even if we hate some of their things they do with production, you know, oh, like, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, to quote some other podcasters, birds flying out of Matt Riddle's ass. You know, <laughs> I know Matt's not been around. He's got bigger problems right now. I understand <laughs> the birds flying out of his ass, if you can believe it. But, you know, I mean, like, you know, I, and they're, they're, boy, when we review that Royal Rumble um, from this past week, and I'm going to bitch about some of their production, but there's no denying that it feels like a big event, the WWE. They're, that, that's what they've done well, mm-hmm. despite, you know, kind of eh, so so creative up and down the card it just feels big they're in big stadiums you know the, the, they just have lots of fireworks it's very bright i watched this dynamite show man there was like some production gaffes that i don't at this stage of the game i don't think you can have no no i agree the the, the mjf the timing of the mjf segments and the announcers thrown to something that isn't there is very there was like a segment in wcw that always comes to mind to me when tony Schiavone. <laughs> coincidentally enough starts raving oh my god there's something going on backstage with the bulldog and mongo and then we cut to backstage and it's just like davy boy walking along with coffee in his hand like nothing's <laughs> going on and then mongo like starts fighting him they do a pull apart and it's like well fucking hell like you know it's that really like that doesn't feel like that you know two hands are on the same page there but like, <laughs> I, was- <laughs> I, I guess it was on your format sheet tony you just <laughs> <laughs> You just yeah, read exactly. it. You, you read ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, uh, but that's the kind of thing like you, you you want to avoid. And again, the interesting thing with WWE is really, oftentimes, that is what they're selling. The optics, the experience that this is a big mm-hmm. deal. That is like chief among the reasons why there are people who will never watch anything but WWE because this is what they expect. This is what they accept. This is part of the reason they like it is the 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 pyro and the ballyhoo even if it is cgi pyro by the way which is yeah. again disgraceful from kevin dunn <laughs> I, 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 CGI I, pyro I, I said i said that as a kid though 
You yes, know, you did. Don't... I remember you said that. That was a big thing for you, wasn't it? WCW always looked bush league to you because you were comparing it to the WWF. Yeah, it looked dark, you know, mm-hmm. especially the case. So, like, you know, I, I mean, everyone's – and, you know, when WCW surpassed WWE for a while – it was, you know, Nitro came across like a more major league product. So you, you referenced the, the thing with MJF, you know. So him and uh, Takeshita, they have the pull apart. And then they throw it to the back. They they said the wrong interviewer's name. And he's wearing, MJF's wearing a different shirt. And it's clearly pre-recorded. But they're talking about an angle that very clearly just happened live. Yeah. That and it's bad. Rouge who's being interviewed, not MJF. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that too. So yeah. I mean, yeah. look, hey, yeah. uh, I can empathize with production issues here. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. With you. I don't know if this show is recording still. To be honest with you, I think it is. We'll Ryan find out. We'll yeah. find out. But I, I think you know if there is that barrier that you spoke of, like some, you know, of an expectation of a certain level of production, then honestly, that's got to be a focus. And they just brought this guy in. Who Michael apparently, Bonsby, yeah. yeah, that was Triple H's guy. I mean, you would think some of those loose ends would be tightened up. I mean, you don't want the show to look too much like WWE. That was my fear when I heard about this man. Yeah, I thought again, the same thing. Well, I was like, God, don't make it be like a WWE show. But you would think a guy who has experience at that level in that company, you wouldn't have some of these WCWS gaffes in the production. Um, and they do need to tighten that up because that's a problem and it will always make them look second best if they continue to have stuff like that. Yeah, I agree completely. And that, the thing is with production, one of the big keys in production is just do nothing wrong. Just do nothing wrong. There's, no, there's nothing, you know, people don't really realize like a perfect production when you see it, but you know when it isn't. And that's the key with, with stuff like this. And it's like, again, WWE, they hit Nia Jax's music before they did the countdown. That was kind of yep. shitty. But yeah. is anyone really going to notice when they're playing, you know? <laughs> well, it was also shitty when Nia Jax then came out. Well, well yeah, that, that goes <laughs> yeah, that goes without saying. You know? yes. Yes. But, all right, here's my last thing. So, uh, when we started talking about AEW, I mentioned there were three great matches last night. You had Mox and Hangman, you had Brian and Tim Thatcher, and you had Darby and Joe. I am being told here as I look off camera via the repack report, Scott Keith gave those matches four and a half, four and four and three quarter stars. Ooh, Ooh which, that's high. which is like basically clash of champions one territory. Okay. With, you know, the tag title change, the U S tag title match and, and, and flair and sting. I, I didn't get that, gather that, that it was that high. And and, and I, so I want you to comment on that, one. And two, I'm having an issue, Liam, and I need you to help me here. Okay, I, t- I told you this before the show. <laughs> and, and this was the case with the Royal Rumble, too. What happens when you're not, when you're seemingly not enjoying wrestling as much as everybody else is? Because I, I, I'm... I am feeling, I guess people have probably gotten that sense by the way we've been talking about AEW here for the last 30 minutes or whatever. But like, that's crazy, those ratings. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. I mean, I'll rewind. Again, I never feel comfortable rating a match until I watch it a second time. Mm. There's yeah. actually something I want to talk about. But but please, say something intelligent. Yeah, okay. So at this point, I, I do think, obviously, I, I agree in the sentiments that matches getting rated very very high i think because people compare athleticism and stuff like that to to matches in in years past they like to make comparisons and things of that nature and that's cool i think when you're actually really looking at with the modern eyes 
I mean, I I love Derby and and Joe. I would probably go four and a quarter. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe four and a half because I re- I really did like it. Um, but I do. Th- yeah, I mean, four four and three quarters is like near perfection. And, and, and a half. Are, are we going to be talking about that in the match of the year contender voting? See, that's what I mean. Like, that, that's and four and a half to me. The 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 average the, the average yes so the average if the average becomes four and a half in this little star scale then, then we're, four then and a half is four and a half yeah, yeah yeah the average needs to come down because there there are matches that do excel above the norm and I did I did think that Joe and Darby excelled above the norm because that was memorable as hell and I thought that Moxley and Hangman had a great match too. Um, but again, those are those are very very high ratings, and it's been that way for a while. I the thing for me when it comes to to not enjoying wrestling the way other people seem to strikes me more with WWE than it does with AEW. Honestly, I do like AEW quite a bit, and uh, WWE I watch and I I feel like I want to strangle somebody. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> I, I will reserve my takes on the Royal Rumble, which I haven't even finished yet. I have to finish um, the last match uh, after the main event, the, the mm. post-match angle after I'm done here with you. But, yeah, you know, God bless them. We've all learned so much through the years. But, Matt, when Meltzer started breaking the five-star scale, that's when I thought this whole thing went to shit. <laughs> I, I just, I, but it, and you know what else is? I don't think it's just athleticism. I think it's, People get really wrapped up in the moment at not knowing who's going to win, and they're, they're like on this ride, and they just react to it right away. Whereas I wonder if you would, because I, like I said, I don't feel comfortable rating a match till I've seen it a second time. I wonder what these people would think if they rewatch these matches, because a lot of these matches, what happens is they get four and a half stars, and no one rewatch, no one watches it again, no one thinks about it again, and so I'm like, well, how is a four and a half star match? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was a very interesting discussion on the in the Fight Game Media Facebook group, which I'm a part of, okay, about spoilers. And, and it was unanimous that everyone hated spoilers, tries to avoid spoilers. This is interesting. Okay. I like spoilers. <laughs> when everyone zigs, Liam, you know I zag. That's, that's the way you've always been, man. I shouldn't say that I like spoilers, but I certainly don't mind them as much as other people. And I've made this point on the show before. Every great match, I shouldn't say every great match, but about 95% of the great matches that took place in the 1980s and the 1990s, and even you know into the 2000s a little bit, I did not watch live. And when I did watch them, I knew exactly who won. Yeah, And I would watch them, and I would absolutely appreciate their greatness still, even though I know who, who won. And that's when I talk about I don't feel comfortable rating matches until I've seen him a second time, because once you know where it's going, you can evaluate it a lot. You, you can better evaluate a lot better. It's not just like, "Whoa, my God, I thought he was going to kick out there." Oh my God, I thought he was going to kick out there. Oh my God, this has happened five times. And when you have five, and when I bite on five near falls, that's like an automatic four and a half stars. No, <laughs> that's not that. That's that's bad in my opinion. <laughs> so, like. I, I, I was fascinated by sort of the unanimous reject hatred of spoilers. And, and that's a, a pretty common thing, right? Like people don't yeah, spoil yeah, the totally. Whereas um, I'll, I'll be honest when it came time, because I knew I kind of had to cra- do a crash course on dynamite for the show. I was reading what happened before I'd actually happened. And I had zero problem with that. And people were saying, Oh, that must've affected your show. No, it didn't. Like it actually, I knew what was coming and I was able to better evaluate it. So I don't know. That, that's a point I've been trying to make for a long time. I, 
I a part of it is it's it's tough. I'm busy with work. This is just a soliloquy that Ryan will probably cut out of the show. But um, <laughs> but people can guess it. Uh, that you know, I, I think like just evaluating wrestling like as it happens, and then just never going back and revisiting were these things as high as or, or as low in that matter as they were purported to be at the time. Is that accurate? You know, because I mean, you and I, we've got, we're got, we go back and look at, you know, WWF from 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And how many times have we said when we've been breaking down 90, 91, or 92, oh, wow, you know what? This was kind of better than I remembered it, or this wasn't as good as I remembered it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just, I think it's like, it's fascinating as like me and where I'm at in my wrestling fandom. Like, I almost feel like I want to like just co- like cover it in a different way where it's like, you know, I'm taking into account three to six month periods rather than just like Darby Allen did this this week on Dynamite. Is his stock up or down? It's like that's like so bad. Like I uh, love yeah. I love this rant, Kyle. Yeah, I, yeah. So I, I just like you know, and, and you know, it's tough. People want to hear our reactions in real time, and, and we try to give them. But I just think there's a broader picture that people don't consider when handing out some of these high ratings like like i agree i agree and i think it comes down to two points that i want to hit on here number one i think the reason is that fans from when they first started watching wrestling they are used to absorbing wrestling with a stream of consciousness frame of mind absorbing it as it comes to you and reacting emotionally in the moment which is the whole point of pro wrestling so this isn't a criticism mm. but they they that's how they've always absorbed it. They don't think about the big picture. They're, the only thing that they judge it by is in the moment, how do I feel about it? And again, times have changed, times have evolved. The people who take a step back and look at it in the bigger picture, I think they it, it, it's, it's a far more valid point of view. And the other thing is, when it comes to the spoilers, people have a really, really hard time uh, adjusting their expectations or developing expectations based on stuff that they read. And they find that it hampers their ability to enjoy something or evaluate things in the moment. Like, okay, I'm told this is a great match. So if I go into it like it's a great match and then it disappoints, uh, well, that's not as fun as, as an experience as if I had watched it streaming consciousness. Whereas it's like, get a grip of what, of what your expectations are, I suppose. And just like, it doesn't necessarily have to shape the way you think just because somebody else says that something is good. <laughs> well, let's see, see here. I, I need you to do a full on intervention now. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I'm actually the opposite way. Really? Okay? Yeah. So I'll read like, you know, like Meltzer will give like, you know, some new Japan, like five and a quarter stars. I'm like, no, it's not fucking five and a quarter stars. <laughs> I haven't even watched it yet. It, like you're wrong. It's not that high. And so like, it makes me like not want to watch, like it makes me just not want to watch it for a while until I forget what Meltzer gave yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then just like watch it cold. And I'm like, oh fuck, this was good. What did Meltzer get? And then I'll be like, oh, what the fuck was this guy thinking? Five and a quarter stars. <laughs> but you know, um, but you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I feel like his start, like it used to be, you know, I remember when I was, you know, tape collect- collecting. I'm sure you were the same way. You look through people's reviews. You look through the, if Meltzer gave a match a high star. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm going to find a way to get that event because I want to watch this mm-hmm. match based off it. Now I don't. I don't feel it's as instructive. But that's a different story for a different day. Okay, we got to get to WCW because I don't know Let's. what the hell we, we've been talking. Um, all right, again, going back to Top Rope Nation Classics into December, um, we reviewed Starcade '97. 
Uh, it is a very frustrating event uh, <laughs> to, again, to my point, when you know what's going It was frustrating at the time, but oh, it is God. also frustrating to watch 25 years after the fact. Uh, this was a company at its peak. It had no idea how hard it was going to crash 18 months later. But you look back and there were so many missteps that I would love to correct and talk about. Well, I can't correct them anymore. The damn Bischoff ran the company on the ground and it's gone. But, um, and, and Vince Russo didn't help either. No. So what I wanted to focus on today for part one of our 1998 WCW book is how we would have split the NWO, what they did, what we liked, what we didn't like, and we'll go from there. I, I You and I were talking before we went on air. While 98 WCW rightfully has a bad name, I think people need to remember two things. One, it was its most profitable year in company history. Two, at the start of the year, there's not a ton I would change with the exception of how they broke the NWO up. I think the roll call of champions was very good. Sting was clearly the man who should have been the world champion. I like DDP as US champion. I like Booker T as TV champion. Jericho as the cruiserweight champion. Okay, like there aren't a ton, you know, down the card. There's not a lot of different moves I would have made. I think that the two big issues was the NWO infiltrating down card. Whereas it used in 96 and 97, it was confined to usually like the top two, maybe three matches. All of a sudden, you know, now you have like Brian Adams wrestling seventh from the top and nobody asked for that. And, and, it, and it was a messy breakup for a lot of political reasons. So let's start at Starcade, Okay. I think you would agree with the sentiment that Ryan and I espoused on the show that that end was fucking shitty. How that oh, like yeah, it's, it's, you couldn't have done it worse. You tried. <laughs> like, it yeah, made Sting look like worst. a complete ass. And the problem was they couldn't show the footage. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't show. Well, I think they did show the footage the next night, and the announcer was like, "Oh man, maybe that wasn't a fast count. Maybe Sting did get." <laughs> And I'm like, you're killing. You built this guy yeah. pretty much. You're killing this guy. And what's so frustrating to me about Hogan's behavior in that moment. For, actually, hold on. I'll get to that in a second. First question to you. was, I said I would have fired Dick Patrick. Is that too harsh? No. Okay. I, I I'd have fired that. Nick Patrick and I, I, you know, Hogan. I mean... You, he, now, here's the thing, just to catch people up to speed here, because people mm -hmm. need to know this. Hogan was – the, the key part of the early 98 was Hogan was renegotiating his deal, and they, yes. were, they were very scared he was going to go back to Titan. So Hogan, which would have been a disaster, I think, if you're WWF at that time, looking back which to is, take Hogan. Which is, which is why I was, I've always been annoyed when talking about this period, because Bischoff had far more leverage than he realized. When, he, if, when it came to actually standing up to Hogan, which I know is a novelty – would be it would be a novelty to, to Eric during that period of time. Man, Hogan would have just fucking ruined the WS momentum. <laughs> yeah. So bad. And they weren't gonna, they were never gonna give him the, the deal that WCW had for him. They could have just even if you just used that leverage to strip that creative control thing out of his contract, you could have done it easily if you really wanted to. Yes, and that brings me to my point. So Hogan. Look, he's, he's obviously one of the biggest, you know, some would argue he's still the biggest name in the history of this business. You need Hogan on your side. But I agree, Bischoff had more leverage. And at that, when you see, to me, if I'm a booker and I see someone going to business like themselves, I'm, all right, first, my, my first reaction is to, yeah, to, to 
uh, probably to physically assault them. Two <laughs> would be to fire them. Um, you know, uh, uh, one I would probably lose the physical. Well, I don't know. Nick Patrick, kick, uh... kick him, kick him. Well, Nick, but whatever. I would have kicked Hogan in his hip. But uh, or were his hips okay back then? Uh, they, so, they were never great. They were never great. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, he was never healthy after what, like eighty-five, something like that. Yeah, he was okay. always a bit ropey. But, okay, but I would have started to say, all right, I've got to fuck this guy over ultimately back and, and i've got and, and like i i've got to let the locker room know who's boss and that's going to come uh i'll tease this much later in 1998 mm, okay uh, I, I think at the early part you just have to deal with them because you don't wrestling fans are like oh get rid of this i'm sick of this well you have to have something to fill that void if you're just get, you can't just get rid of top guys and not have people ready to take their place now of yeah. course as we're going to come to find you're going to get bill goldberg and Again, teaser, spoiler. I like spoilers. Uh, that <laughs> once I realized what Bill Goldberg can be, I would hitch my wagon completely. Go, and then at that point would, would hatch my plan to, to, to screw over Hulk Hogan in, in 99. <laughs> in 99. Uh, you, you will be surprised how much I will give Ho- – how much I'll, I'll play ball with Hogan in 98, I think. Oh uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, th- there's there's definitely there's definitely room for for uh, for old Terry. Don't get me wrong. This is not. A, I would not. I would not fire Hulk Hogan. I just no. think that you you need to you need to taper it in. I will say that by the time we're in June, July, and he's done the job, I know obviously things are going to be different with with, that, with what you propose. I'm sure. But if in real life, when Goldberg beats Hogan at the Georgia Dome, at that point, I do not think hogan's got much of a leg to stand on politically anymore he feels like such old news after that's happened yes and and, exactly. and, and and hogan signed his deal right around that time knowing it himself so oh he, he waited that late he waited like six months before he fucking signed yeah i thought it was like in march or april um i'll have to go i'll get back and look i'm okay. wrong about this i have a feeling that it was right around the time when like it's very clear that wf doesn't really need him at all okay. anymore Okay, well, th- let, let's talk about the split of the NWO. Okay, at this point, WCW, they, they think you know they're, they're still winning the war. They've you know they're coming off their biggest pay per view ever. I talked about this on the Starcade review, and I want to know if you agree with this. I would have had Kevin Nash at Starcade beat the Giant. That would have been my booking, and then the next night on Nitro, he's in the Triple H role. Uh, post WrestleMania 14 Raw, he's a winner. Hogan's a loser, and he's like, "You drop the ball," and we're gonna find. I guess you know, with Nash booked to win, I guess we're gonna find out just how serious uh, that heart <laughs> issue really was. <laughs> maybe, per, perhaps uh, when he's informed of this news, maybe his heart grew three sizes that day. I, I, <laughs> I bet it would. That. I bet yes. it would. So, your thoughts on me booking? Nash to beat the Giant at Starcade, a show which was largely designed to reestablish and, and failed in many regards to reestablish WCW as the superior entity to the NWO. In every regard, almost, I think. I think even you know, Buff got the Duke on Lex, which, which yeah. just again, just very puzzling results up and down the card on that show. But yeah, um, I, I I'll qualify this. I would have I would have had no other NWO victories on the card. Just yeah. that one. Just Nash Kevin. would have, yeah. Oh, just Nash is as the only winner. If you're rebooking from the night of Starcade, I agree. That's the move to make. Okay. Absolutely. And if his heart really was an issue, I guess you just do it. It's sold out, which is what they did. But the, but the problem with what they did, it sold out, is that they, you know, the the, the power bomb 
which like killed the giant and made Nash more of a heel. I wouldn't have done that. Because well, I mean, it kind of made him more of a heel, but at the same time, when he would go for the power bomb, the place would go fucking ballistic. It's like he's the renegade. He's doing the banned move, and people would pop for the power bomb. So it's like that's right. In, in some regards, well, I was, you can you can still do that. I think I actually kind of would still do that because I think that there is a way. If if we didn't get to, if we if if okay, let's let's just I looked at this from a slightly different perspective to yourself in the sense that I thought okay, let's say perfect world, the person who gets shit canned after that Starcade fiasco is the Booker. For allowing that to happen, yes, and yeah. we are in, we are brought in on January first, nineteen ninety eight, and we have to kind of clean that up and like make you know, we, we've got these are the, the cards we've been dealt type of thing. If you do that, I would probably lean towards doing a bit of a slower burn towards the breakup, not massively slower burn, three months, but like I probably would I would probably still go with that tension early and then just kind of ride it for three months until you get to the to the breakup, but the move to make. And I think we're on the same page here. Is Nash would even even if okay, let's just say that it was exactly the way it went, sold out. Nash still beats the giant to me because this yeah. is the story. Nash succeeds where Ho- and and Hogan's failing, and and it's the shift towards you know, what what's working in the NWO going babyface. And they could have, and they kind of did. I mean, because obviously Hogan loses at sold or at Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. and that's what's so frustrating to me about Hogan is. The idea that he had to do that to set up a rematch, like a storyline rematch, who would have balked at Hogan's Sting too? Like if Hogan did the cleanest fucking job of his career to Sting yep. at Starcade, is anyone going to be like, oh, well, fuck, I don't want to see that. And I don't want to see Hulk Hogan's Sting again. Nah, come on. It was the it's, biggest it's... match in company history. Yeah, of course it's going to do great a second time. And, and it would have been, been fine. But they, I, I, you know... I think that maybe this is one of those things where Hogan used that as like the argument for why we need to do this. You know, we need to throw a little bit of something in he, there. You know what he said? You know what he said, don't you? Andre, Mania 3. You know he <laughs> used that. The, 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 remember the Joey Varela? Was it a yeah, 2 yeah. or was it a 3? The only difference was that was executed much better and was clear to the audience that it was not a 3, even though, you know, Bobby Heenan and Andre and, and Jesse Ventura yeah. would sell. Oh, I think that might have been a 3. But, like, even as a 7-year-old kid, I'm like, what do these fuckers talk about? Was going on? <laughs> I, like, I can count to 3. It wasn't a 3 count. The key, yeah, the key, the key with a scenario like this is the babyface has to actually be right. That's yes. kind of the important part, you know? Yes. So, so to me, I always start this rebook as saying that wouldn't have happened. I don't know how fair, like, like, like there's mm-hmm. no fast count. Like, because do you, okay? Do you did you like the idea of a fast count and Bret Hart that being a way to bring Bret Hart into the main event fold, where he would come in? We're not going to have this again. I'm going to restart because Ryan was like, ah, oh, Bret Hart should have wrestled on this show, and I actually don't think he should have at all. I thought it was way too early, and I, I, in theory, I like the idea if it had been executed properly. I do too. I don't think that it's terrible. I think you could have gotten around it by if if you want to completely eliminate any jeopardy that it goes fucking horribly wrong because someone forgets the count slow or something like that. You could have even had a ref bump and just had Brett be the second ref because he'd been qualified to be a referee earlier in the night. You could Mm -hmm. have gotten around it without having to even risk Sting looking bad with the fast count. Um and again, the way the, the way the match was laid out with Hogan just beating him up the whole time and then pinning him also didn't help. But you could you could have again you could have gotten around it so many different ways, and that's the frustrating part. Is it's actually 
very easy to do. And uh, yeah, but but in theory, the idea of the fast count, Brett is the the, the person who's been wrong to kind of tap into that. Yeah, that could have worked. Okay. The bottom line is whether you you know we're just working with what we're dealt with, or we're or we're you know we're, we're we somehow had things go properly at Starcade. Do you agree that Hogan staying a rematch at Super Bowl was the correct direction? Like you obvious? <laughs> oh, I actually. Oh wow! Would sacrifice that. And I, when I was doing my rebook, I actually didn't put a Hogan Sting rematching because I think wow. I would do that. I think I would do that later. I would okay. wait a little bit of time. Okay. Well, here is so let's start talking about some things they actually did that I liked. Okay. So Scott Hall had won World War Three. Yeah. Which was weird. Everyone thought Nash was going to win it, and they like they thought it was like a swerve, like Scott Hall winning it. Um, and winning World War Three entitled you to a title shot at Super Bowl. And they did this angle it sold out because Hogan was demanding his rematch. There was this, you know, was it a fast count? Was there, was it? They had Sting up there. And the decision was made, well, Hogan is going to get his rematch before in place of Scott Hall getting his schedule. And Scott Hall was bumped back. And Hall walked out kind of disgusted. with. I thought that was a great way to build tension. I thought that was one of the few times they did it excellent job at building tension between kind of the two factions. And I, that's why to me, I think Hogan and sting as a rematch at super Bowl works because it is a natural way to build tension. It's like Hogan's putting himself above. It's like, Oh, well, you know, Scott Hall, sorry, you have to step aside because I'm Hulk Hogan and I get the shot and it causes a natural resentment between the Hall and Nash and the Hogan sides. Yeah, I agree. I I absolutely would weaponize that too. I think that when I was kind of weighing it up, I think the same way. I just reversed it where Hogan wants Hall to give up his match and Hall does not because Hogan dropped the ball and the Wolfpack's going to pick it up and, and tie it in as part of that story with, with, uh, with Nash. So I would do the same thing, but just, I would reverse it so that Hall wasn't, you know, it's interesting. Cause to your point, you run the risk. If you're delaying Hall, that Hall's the baby face by the time you wrestle sting. Yeah. Which I wouldn't want. Yeah, which you which you would yeah, absolutely you would want. You want so, you want Hall you want Hall to be early in the process enough that you know that there's tension, but not so far along that like you like him. Yeah, or the audience like, is starting to like him. You don't want to that you do not want to split the sting focus at least for a while. Okay. Something I think we agree on here, and this will probably be the most positive breakdown, at least for me, on Kevin Nash and his entire career. <laughs> All right, I've already booked him to beat the Giants at Starcade, or it, it, at the very least sold out. Kevin Nash should have gotten Randy Savage's spot at the start of the year. So that, like, and there's a reason that didn't happen. You can go into it. We can go into it, whatever, later. But uh, that should have been the catalyst feud for the split of the groups with Nash going off to lead the Wolf Pack, which he kind of did anyway, but it was so messy the way they did it. And it was done in a way to make him look so second fiddle. You know, after Savage had been made to look second fiddle, they were just a second fiddle group. Whereas to me, it needed to be them. You know, again, this is something we was talked about with the Sami Zayn turn on Roman Reigns. You never want a heel to turn babyface because other heels turn on him. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad look. So do you agree that, and I know they did great TV ratings, WCW with Hogan and Savage as the lead feud. 
But to me, it should have been Hogan and Nash as the main feud coming up, like as the NWO began to splinter. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think I, I understand why they went. Well, I understand particularly, as you said, we'll talk about it, why Savage got the position he got. But to me, if I had my perfect world of what I would do, it would be the Wolfpack breaking away from the NWO. And that's the tension. Because as it turned out, the, the comedy was that Hogan turned down working with, with Hall and Nash saying it was too soon to do the internal NWO <laughs> feud and then just start doing it with Randy Savage anyway, which is just classic. But I, to me, it would have been the original three Wolfpack guys. Yeah, and that's the thing too, because... It, well, well, no, and, and the thing with Hogan feuding with Hall and Nash, who were the first three NWO people? I think that's exactly. just a better story. Yeah. You know, Hogan and... I know the roles were reversed with Hogan as the heel and Savage as the bit, but like, it just felt like two WWE, I think, at that point. And you brought up such a funny point that Hogan, he's, oh, it's too early to feud with Hall and Nash. But yet he basically does the same exact thing with Savage. People need to understand Hogan was far more confident in his ability, and he's correct in thinking this, about keeping Randy Savage under his thumb than he was Hall and Nash. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, Hall and – it's so funny. Nash, even though he was fucking working the boys the whole time – throughout 1998 is trying constantly to rally the locker room around him. He's like, Oh, I'm the guy who you guys need to throw your support behind. And I'm the guy who can sort of oust Hulk Hogan for power. And you know, the Benoit's, the Jericho's, the Guerrero's. You you guys will all get a push. If you throw your support behind me and Hogan actively behind the scenes was undercutting Nash at the start of the year. Yeah. And there and that that's why Waltman got fired. Yes, it is. Because because and, and what a mistake. You talk about something I would not have done. Firing oh Sean. Oh my Waltman, god. People do not understand what a big mistake that was because because he walks into WWF the night after uh WrestleMania when they needed him the most. Shawn Michaels is out of the picture. They needed a new DX and he just yeah. walks right into an incredible situation. Imagine if they didn't have Sean Waltman. Like Triple H cuts his promo, but like Triple H is part of that promo sort of sucked. There's no meat. Triple H at this point is only over because he's Shawn Michaels' shadow. Yeah. And, and he's doing his part and he's trying, as he always did, very, very much a try hard during that period. But it's the fact that Waltman, fresh off being an actual one of the cool members of the NWO, waltzes into the new thing, DX. And it's like, okay, so. On this extremely surreal Raw, which feels like a new version of pro wrestling because everything's different, everything's changed, everything's weird. The guy from the NWO is now here, ripping the shit out of, of how uncool Hogan and Bischoff are at a time when everybody's kind of come to that conclusion themselves naturally anyway. Yes. And it's just like, why on earth you would not keep just the optics of the guy going over there at a time when the company's heating up anyway? It just it, it, and a, a, a younger guy too, the mm. guy who had credibility but was still youthful. That didn't help at all. And I certainly, Kyle, would not have fired Sean Waltman to give Brian Adams two hundred fifty thousand fucking dollars for nothing. No, although you know, I didn't mind bringing Brian Adams in with the like the whole thing with like, oh, you know, I, I quit WWF for you, Brett. That was not a terrible story. I was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, Only for the turn heel immediately afterwards, though. Yeah. Well, now now I. You know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot to do one job, and I would have immediately been looking to get my way out of that contract. Yeah. You know, I would have been calling Clarence Mason, perhaps, to uh, plant some more <laughs> contraband in Crush's bag, but that's okay. Um, 
So here's everyone always talked about like, although it was not apples to apples, like DX, the original DX, they were kind of like WWF was kind of copying the NWO, right? Having this mm, cool yeah, yeah. renegade heel group. They blew by firing Waltman and not going immediately to the Wolfpack. Like I think what is our concurrent vision for what the yeah, Wolfpack yeah. should have been. WCW blew an opportunity to do the babyface version of DX before WWF had its yes, version. Exactly. Because like basically the Wolfpack came off as an a, an older, less cool version of babyface DX when the when the Wolfpack finally formed and was a thing when they had the oh, music. Yeah. So to me, Lex Luger in his jeans. Yeah, yeah. But but if you don't let go of Waltman uh, first, okay. The Wolfpack to me should have been Hall, Nash, Waltman. Conan, because he had catchphrase. I know. I mean, there are people I know. Chad hates Conan, but um, yeah, <laughs> Conan had catchphrase. He had catchphrases like the Road Dog had catchphrases, and people liked repeating it, saying "bout it, bout it," and whatever. And and Bagwell, and Bagwell. That would have been my five, and that's it. But those are the guys who would have splintered off. And I could talk about how we would have got there in each. Mm-hmm. I mean, Conan would I think just naturally just gone with the other guys. Bagwell, I would have had go because he was offended that Hogan brought Scott Steiner into the fold, who he'd been oh, feuding with. And yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and I also I did not like that there were two things that they doubled down on with Hall and Nash's heels that were mistakes. The Larry Zabisco match at oh, Soul yeah. Out and and Steiner turning at Super Brawl on his brother, and you know, Hall and Nash being the masterminds of it. To me. I would have had that be a shock to Hall and Nash and Hogan, oh! the mastermind of it. Kyle, you're reading my mind. I wrote that down. I yes. love that idea. And, and they would have been like, and he would have turned on Rick and there would have been no title change. And Hall and Nash would have been like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Hogan? Yeah. And Hogan would have acted like he didn't think about that. But really, you, it would be inferred he had yeah. thought about it and he didn't want them to get their titles back. Okay, so if you had that written down, talk about it then. Same thing. I mean, I had a. I mean, I've I've got a. The the scenario that I had is probably too elaborate to talk about from end to end because it's quite detailed. Yeah. But I actually was really happy with it. <laughs> but the whole the whole in the end, it's like okay. To me, I have a, a nice little side story with Steiner building up to this that maybe I'll get into in a little bit. But that to me, that's the perfect play. Is that Hogan Steiner is Hogan's guy that he brings in in the late stage where it's like where the NWO is starting to splinter and fall apart. And Steiner is like the guy again. National Hall don't know, but I, I I I love that idea. I think that's just so good. I would not. Per- I didn't think about Bagwell. I would probably move Conan over eventually, but put, wouldn't put him over straight away. The only thing about Bagwell is that he's such a cock as a heel <laughs> that the idea uh, Buff was actually on a rewatch. Buff Bagwell was not bad until he turns babyface. And then he yes. becomes absolutely insufferable. <laughs> so like, I can, I can only imagine how he would have played in the Wolfpack, well, but who knows? Well, maybe it wouldn't have been that bad. Well, well, well you hate to say this, he gets injured anyway. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so yeah, that's he true. gets it. But, but I don't know. He was like a catchphrase. Like, I think the catchphrases, I think, could have like... Conan, I, I, I agree, Conan. Bagwell was youthful and he was over. Yeah, so, people liked. Remember, people were all. Everyone always thought Bagwell was going to be like this big breakout guy. Yeah, he never was, yeah. but um, for various reasons. But no, I would have put him in that group. Um, would you? Okay, so Hogan doesn't beat Sting for the title back <laughs> at the pay per view. Whether you do it at Uncensored or Super Bowl, you agree with? Mm-hmm. 
here's so here's what I sold out is not going to have that which did a great number with just Bret Hart's first match, which is why I think it was not a mistake to not have Bret Hart wrestle at Stark. And no, I think I having Bret Hart headline that January pay-per-view is what drew that number. And it was able to stand out in a main event position. But I have, st- um, I have Hogan, um, you know, and Hall having their, dis- be, be, with their moment of disgust. Okay. I have Hogan screwing over Hall and Nash, not getting the tag titles. And then at Super Brawl, Sting and Hogan in their rematch, it would end with Hall and Nash refusing to help Hogan. And that's the breakup of the group. Right there, what he's asking for them. You know, kind of like what they did with Ron Simmons and uh, Rocky at WrestleMania. You know, they run mm-hmm. down. Yeah, and he just and, stops but, and turns around. Yeah, but they don't help. You know, you know, Hogan can be in the Scorpion Deathlock or whatever. They run down, they look at him, and they say, no, we're out of here. And they, and they leave. Yeah. Again, you're that would have been before WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> so WWF, if they would have done, if they would have done this, it would have come across as a. Copy. It would have come yeah. off like a copy, and you wouldn't have and, had Waltman. Yeah, and it's also it's not like I'm thinking it's not like that's like a hard thing to think. It's like oh, you're just copying, you're cheating because you know what WWF did, and you're just giving WCW angle first. Is that really that hard of a thing to think of? I don't, like not it, only is that not hard to think of, it's what they were probably going to do until Hogan said no. <laughs> so, yes. you know. Yeah, because th- that's sort of like, wasn't it like Savage didn't help him? I can't remember Super Brawl, that, the finish of that Yeah, match. It was, and it, which led to the, the bizarre cage match with Hogan and Savage where Sting comes in and then Savage inexplicably attacks Sting. Yeah, which was <laughs> terrible. Amazing, which was awful, so yeah. I would have done Hogan versus Nash then on... For the first ever NWO versus NWO match in the cage at Uncensored, and I'm probably going to let it go to an unfinished because there's, again, I am, uh, it, to me, that's not the hill I want to die on. There are hills that I want to die on later in the year and I feel more strongly about. But um, I, I, that's what I, that, 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 that's where I would build. I, so by, by March, the big difference is for me, the NWO is already split. And it's 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 Nash in the Savage role, where you would have done Hogan and, and Nash and uncensored in a cage. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, I like the. I mean, granted, it's hard for it to have been executed worse than it was. I think that if they'd have done that, it'd have been fabulous. I think that was that was the way to go anyway. Hall and Nash breaking away. I like the fact that they're the ones to get to do the big fuck you to Hogan and not the other way around. Um, but yes, I think that I think I in my in the scenario that I kind of conjured up with, I think I ended up getting to like Hogan and Savage versus Nash and Hall in the tag by like April, and then I'm building to the singles match with Hogan and Nash for I think May. So the destination is ultimately the same, which is Hogan and Nash in a cage, and we'll see what happens depending on where we want to go from there. Okay, and I think we're going to leave it there because we have uh, gone. Uh, I believe our we uh, believe we've gone a long time here, so we're going to start, and then we're going to pick this up in part two where we can maybe um, start talking about you know how we would have started booking the spring because my departure, I, I start having more of a departure at that moment, and we also need to talk about the other big uh, booking misstep of the early part of 1998 for WCW, which was Bret Hart. 
Well, that's the thing because I, I, a big part of the reason why I don't do Sting and Hogan early in my mind is because I would go to Hogan and Brett earlier than they. Well, they never got to it. But you know what I mean. I would, okay. I would, I would lean on Hogan and Brett quite a bit early in the year because I do believe that the longer you wait, the more Brett oh. becomes part of the furniture, the less special that becomes. Yeah, and I, I would have done it. I guess probably not as early as you, but I would have done it fairly early in the, I certainly would not have waited to Starcade. I think waiting for another Hogan match at Starcade for a full year after you had done that with Sting, where people had questioned, was that too long? was a mistake. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked again. Okay. You can't, you so can't, we'll, you can't do it twice in a row. We'll, we'll get to that. I think we've put enough meat on this bone here for people to select. Hopefully uh, we've said some things that have uh, caused uh, the gears to start turning the listeners' heads. Hopefully this show recorded. Otherwise, boy, what a waste of time <laughs> this 90 minutes was, huh? But uh, look, man, um, is there anything else you'd like to say to the fine people? No, I mean, I, there's there's so much that you could do with 98. I think that we're both of the opinion, broadly speaking, that like you said, we, we talked off air, there's a lot in the company that was not bad in the first part of 1998 elsewhere. The thing that really does need a rejig is the top and the execution of the top angle. And it's funny because, man, you got a lot of masters to serve. Because when you yeah. look at the roster and you look at like, when you just weigh it up side by side, just as a, a parting thought for people who want to play with this themselves uh, in, in, you know, in their own minds, you got like the NWO depth chart or the heel depth chart really is like Hogan, Savage, Hall, Nash, Hennig, and then six and i know but like he's like he's seriously like they pushed him huge like didn't they like, he's the u.s like, champion was, yeah u.s champ third you know him and ddp so like but the face side is like sting newly arrived bret hart rick flair the giant lex luger the steiner brothers ddp and it's you got a lot you know and benoit and malenko underneath and there's a lot to try and play with and like if you move three of those guys hall nash and waltman in my scenario and obviously you're going to move conan and bagwell as well over to the other side you're left with like hogan savage hennig and steiner if you turn him against this like litany of fucking baby faces it is difficult to balance them all out it, it really is yes especially when you get to the end of the year and, and it it really and you know hogan liked it that way obviously because it mm-hmm. meant that he had to stay on top because it's like yes, oh, so many baby faces they've all got to work with me and he had so many kind of concurrent feuds but yeah we'll touch on that next time because it's something i noticed as well that it, it's kind of like what we talked about with AEW at the top right it's very lopsided yeah. the baby face heel dynamic so yeah next time we'll talk about bret hart what we would have done in the first half of the year with him we're going to talk about what we've done probably with the world title because my guess is you probably want the world title in goldberg by the summer as well of course, I would keep it on Sting for the first three months, definitely. Yes, but but there but we have to figure out how we're going from Sting to Goldberg and maybe making that a little cleaner than they did. I'm going to shock you, I think, with how similar I do it. Again, it's all about serving masters. Yeah, but um, maybe maybe you did the same thing, and then um, yeah, we'll talk. We'll kind of go maybe all the way through Great American Bash. I think is what we would have done. Well, and we'll yeah. have you know more concrete main events. We'll pick it up from there, but. Uh, yeah, uh, Carl, I see you in the chat. Uh, yeah, w- w- Bischoff has retroactively said that the reason Sting got bad bookings because he wasn't tanned. That's a lie. Well, I mean, it, maybe he wasn't tanned properly, but it, Bischoff's basically just covering for the fact that he was taking orders from Hogan at that point. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine having that? Can you imagine having that much money on the line in a business that big and making the decision like that because someone wasn't tanned? Yeah, that's why he's bankrupt. <laughs> 
<laughs> can't really say it any more clear than that. No, I yeah. guess that's why. That's why WCW's out of business too. You know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot, 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 not a lot of money in, in Bishop's pocket. <laughs> no, yeah. no. I heard he's in the mortgage business now. By the way. Oh Jesus Christ! Imagine having him finance your home. <laughs> Freaking set fire to it before you move in. That's <laughs> the same thing. You know. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I think we are going to bid people adieu. He's Liam O'Rourke. I'm Kyle Ross. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. Godspeed. Peace. <laughs>